You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie. I'm here with Nathan Makaborski. Hello. And John Schwartz. Hello. So today, I guess we'll talk about, well, the All-Star Game is coming up next week. How about that? John, you're going down to Miami for the All-Star Game, right? I am, I am. excited? Yeah, I'm excited for sure. And the fact that I'm taking with me about half the Yankees roster is, uh, you know, another reason to get excited, I guess. That's pretty cool. We have how many All-Stars? Five, I think? So far, five. So far, five. Didi is in contention for the final vote. And there's a, I mean, we haven't even gotten any of the injury replacements yet or the Sunday pitcher replacements yet. So I don't really, I can't really think of too many people other than Dee who might be um, on the radar, but you never know. I mean, there's going to be a lot of changes still. For sure. But I think uh, the group we have going is pretty exciting. We have, who do we have? We have Aaron Judge, obviously, Gary Sanchez, Dylan Batances, uh, Starlin Castro. Luis Severino. Those are the five selections. Judge was the leading vote getter in the AL. Deservedly so. (laughs) That's for sure. John, you're actually, you're writing about Aaron down in Miami. So tell us a little bit about your story and what you're going to be working on down there. You know, it's funny because I'm actually most fascinated this year by the Home Run Derby, which is something that I can promise you I've never said in my life. Um, (laughs) The Home Run Derby, having been to a bunch of them, it's a thing that's usually fun for a couple minutes and then it starts really dragging. The, The memories of most Home Run Derbies are individual things that happen, not the event itself. Um, you know, you can go to 2008, Nate, you were there. Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton. And that was incredible. And every minute and second and home run of that like 45 minute round that he had is very cool to remember in a lot of ways but I mean he didn't even win the derby that day mm. um so you know it, it's more of just spectacle and you sometimes wonder how much spectacle you can handle a couple of years ago they changed up the rules a little bit it's a lot more fun now it's less just about watching guys wait for their perfect pitch now they're timed and so there's a little bit more juice to it obviously balls are flying out this year a lot so I imagine that's going to be the case uh in a very big stadium down there, but one that between Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, Gary Sanchez, uh, should see a lot of balls into the stands. Got some power. Yeah, you know, Aaron has has talked about just treating it like another round of batting practice, and if he's able to do so in front of 50,000 fans and however many more watching on TV, he should be in great shape because we're out there every day watching him during batting practice and it is a show I it mean, is it's really it's incredible, incredible to watch honestly and, yes and that's honestly what i'm you know i'm saying this in advance so who knows what can happen that's what i'm going down there to see which is if you watch uh, aaron judge during batting practice one of the key things you'll notice is how many balls he puts into the right field stands is that what he's going to be doing in the home run derby i mean who tries to go opposite field in the home run derby but he says and it seems to be borne out by the results and you know girardi says the same thing he kind of touches the bat to the ball and it goes a really long way and if he can do that over the course of that entire event you know he says his goal is to just do what he does in bp and what he does in bp is put a lot of balls uh well, opposite field when you're the size of aaron judge whenever you touch anything i think it goes flying presumably and it's going to be really interesting to see you know with a home run derby you're always going to have the people who are you know wondering is this good for this guy's swing is this bad for this guy's swing i think everyone pretty much agrees that 
you know, Judge is not a guy up there who's just ripping it and going crazy and pulling every ball. So it shouldn't affect his swing. It should be an extra batting practice round, but obviously it's a pretty high-profile batting practice round. And, you know, the question is what someone does if he feels at some point like he needs a home run, which he's probably never felt in batting practice before. Like, you know, what happens then? Is that when suddenly he gets pull-happy? That that's where you wonder. Do you think, just as an observer or as somebody who's seen it before, how much do they want to win? Like, is it when they're actually competing? Do the competitive juices get really flowing? And they're like, oh my god, I have to win this. Like, what what have you seen? Since I've never been to one, so what do you guys think? I think I tried to ask this question in the press conference um, that the team had with the All Stars on Monday, and I didn't really get much of an answer. Um, I pretty much feel that at this point they want to win the home run derby more than they care about winning the all-star game i think the eight guys who are in the derby that is going to mean more to them than some outdated silly idea of american league versus national league you know we got rid of the whole home field advantage thing now not that that ever really affected anything in terms of the way the game was managed no matter how much they said but now that's not even there anymore the key thing to always remember about the all-star game and this is a point that I always make when people go crazy about fans of the Royals, let's say, you know, how dare you vote in, you know, players who don't deserve to be all-stars. The all-star game is decided by the reserves, not the starters. It is always decided by the players who end the game, not the players who start the game. So I don't know that Aaron Judge, who's going to get two at-bats and will probably be sitting on the bench by the fourth inning, is necessarily going to be that invested in the outcome of the all-star game. But I'm pretty sure he's going to want to not look stupid in the home run derby. Yeah, I mean, these guys, whatever the competition may be, I mean, they could be playing ping pong in the clubhouse. Like, they're always trying to win. So once he gets out there and that adrenaline starts flowing, I mean, you're going to see him try to win the thing. And, uh, you know, I was I was really excited and surprised to hear, you know, when he when Aaron made the announcement that he would be, in fact, participating, that he said, and I'm bringing a friend along with me. And I'm, I'm excited to watch Gary Sanchez in this home run derby, too, because... I remember, you know, watching him during BP last year and again this year, but, you know, when he burst onto the scene at the end of 2016, I was just amazed at, you know, sort of the, in some of the same ways as Judge, just the the effortless kind of power that he has, you know, he had just a, a smooth swing and, you know, he'd be putting balls in the right field seats to the opposite field regularly. So I'm very interested to see what he can do in this derby as well. And the thing is, he actually, I mean, you don't think about it because of the crazy home runs that Aaron Judge hits. But, I mean, first off, I don't think Aaron Judge has done anything yet. Like, the sheer mania of what Sanchez did in the last two months last year, just because it was so out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. We had a little bit of warning, I feel, with uh, Aaron Judge. But Sanchez... I don't think anyone saw that happening. But also, even this year, Sanchez has a longer average home run distance than Judge does. Hmm. You know, Judge has the 490-foot one and things like that that are, you know, obviously interesting. But he does put a lot over in that right field corner, kind of right over the wall, balls that look like they're, you know, little bloopers off the bat and go over. Whereas when Sanchez connects, he connects uh, he connects pretty good, too. So yeah. it's not uh, no slouch that uh, Judge is bringing along with him. No. And the thing is, to go back to another point, though, about the competition, the batting practice group, group two, every day here, it's Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Matt Holliday, it had been Chris Carter, Starling and Castro now Starlin Castro. Yeah. And it's truly one of the most remarkable collections of hitters I think you'll ever see, to the point that, you know, I've joked with Starlin about it before, and he was it came up in the press conference on Monday. Any place you can go in the world where Starlin Castro is like, 
a you know small bar basically <laughs> you know let, let's not forget that Starlin Castro can hit home runs too but yeah. in that group he just looks like a mouse we all stand around behind the batting cages and John you've had a, a tally for a couple months now like how many home runs a judge hits during every round and it is so much fun to like watch that no- those numbers just go up it's and not up and even up. the numbers it, it's the fact that I have never seen opposite field home runs like this in batting practice. Every player approaches batting practice a little bit differently, but most of them, you know, they're going to spend some time going the opposite way. But that usually means they're going to be peppering, you know, the outfielders or the guys, uh, the pitchers who are shagging balls out there. When he he tries to go the other way, he's still hitting home runs. It's hilarious. I saw him one day, I think it was maybe a day or two after he, he broke the TV out in, <laughs> out in the outfield. Um, I saw him on three consecutive batting practice pitches, hit a home run to left, a home run to center, and a home run to right. And I was just like, well, I, I, maybe I had seen it before, but hadn't noticed because I, I don't pay attention as closely as I do when Judge is in the batter's box. But I saw that, and I was just like, wow, this guy is really – he's impressive and it's it's like he doesn't even look like he's trying it's right. just the easiest swing and the ball is gone and and sanchez like you said is the same way it's an easy swing and the ball is gone and it's yeah. incredible to and see holiday should be coming back later this week it looks like now and holiday it looks like holiday's working real hard when he swings because he swings uh he swings whatever he's got but still hard. it's just a hilarious batting practice group <laughs> severino um had a great comment when someone asked him you know what it's like to be shagging for those guys he's basically i'm paraphrasing he's like it's great you don't have to shag anything <laughs> there are no balls <laughs> i guess one question i have for you guys because there's been some question about this now so there's been a lot of talk in some of the some baseball writers writing about are there too many home runs right now what do you guys think Chicks love the long ball, John. I Sure. I, you know, there, there is question of this idea of, you know, when strikeouts are up and when home runs are up, that means there's a lot less, there are a lot fewer balls in play. And the question is, do we say, well, that's great because the balls that are in play are awesome? Or do we say, yeah, it is a little bit uh, too binary in these outcomes? I would say I need to revisit that in November. You know, I need to see <laughs> this over the course of a whole season and, See, is it really that drastically different, or yes. is it a a blip? I think home runs are going to on pace to be up about five hundred this year. I don't know because you, us three, we're watching baseball every day, and I don't know. It hasn't really changed my opinion so much. I feel like there are still things happening other than home runs and strikeouts. Mm-hmm. There are still great plays being made in the outfield. There's still clutch doubles being hit and all that stuff so i don't think it's taking anything away i think it's just adding a little bit more excitement i'm certainly not advocating for more sacrifice bunting i'm just you know and i and i'm not a i am not someone who yearns for the old days of small ball or anything like that i just it is something that's out there i I don't know how i feel about it in general i i like home runs (laughs) They're, they're an exciting part of our game but like i said i mean let's see where the numbers are at the end of the year Maybe just maybe the pitchers need to catch up or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. I still feel like there's plenty of times where I'm rooting for a home run to happen and it doesn't happen. So. Like John, I said this to you today. We were watching Aaron Judge in the press box, and I said to you, "I think he's going to hit a home run." And then I quickly said, "But I think that literally every time he comes up to bat, and he didn't, and hit he home did run not that, but... hit that at bat. But the next one he did. So like, I don't know. Either he heard you, or he always hits home runs. One or the other. I think he heard me. 
but it's gonna be fun you know i mean all-star games they're always fun i think having this many yankees there look june's been pretty rough and it's been not the most awesome time um, with all the injuries and everything like that but it is good i think to at least take the full measure of the first half when you get to this point and to say even if the last two three weeks or month weren't great you know the team's four games out of first place you probably would have signed up for that in april you're going to be getting a lot of players back right now very soon so that's going to be good but you know what this is a team that the way it's played over the year deserve to have a bunch of all-stars and they will and you know these players even if it wasn't fully consistent all each each of the three months how they did their first halves you know those are all-star first halves so it's cool to see this team going to be represented in the player introductions as I, I think is fitting for how the team did this first half agree yeah and while you're down in Miami, Florida for the All-Star Game, I'll be in <laughs> Manchester, New Hampshire for the Eastern League All-Star Game, which I'm actually really excited about. I'll tell you about. what, when it comes to July, I'm not sure that Miami is a better uh, no. choice than Manchester, New Hampshire. And um, we got a good group going to that Eastern League game. We do. The, the Trenton Thunder are sending four players to the Eastern League All-Star Game. So I'm going to go in there and see what our other prospects do in that game. That should be interesting as well. Speaking of prospects, coming up on this episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast, John put together a really cool segment about catcher Donnie Sands, who started the year in Charleston and kind of is reinventing himself. It's a really cool story. I think you're really going to like it. In June, the Yankees came out of the first 10 rounds of the 2017 draft with a pretty well-stocked bullpen and not a whole lot else. Brian Cashman's crew in the draft war room selected eight right-handed pitchers, one left-hander, and just to keep things interesting, a right fielder. Overall, in the draft's 40 rounds, the team selected 28 pitchers. The way things go, with injuries, with trades, with guys who just can't cut it at the next level, There's no reason to think that anywhere near all of these guys will be competing for spots on this team's pitching staff anytime soon. The draft is a crapshoot, but it's also just the beginning of the story. I mean, I remember I was getting so nervous. I told my mom, I was was like, I need to go outside. Like, I remember telling her, I was like, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) I need to go outside. That's Donnie Sands. And like plenty of guys through the years, the eve of draft day caused him all kinds of anxiety. If you're the type of person who pours over Yankees prospect reports before bed every night, then maybe you've heard of him. Otherwise, probably not. He's a 21-year-old making his way for the Charleston River Dogs of the Low-A South Atlantic League. It's way too early to tell if he'll ever make it to the Bronx, but even basing it on a best-case scenario, he's still years away. Sands, a high school infielder out of Tucson, Arizona, was an 8th-round pick by the Yankees in 2015. But the draft isn't where his story begins, and it's certainly not where it ends. My sophomore year, my mom uh, had to go to Mexico. We didn't think it was down to like $200 a month. She was cutting, she was racking in, and she told me, you know, this was the best person. She had to go to Mexico to, you know, work and be able to earn some money. So I was able to stay in my car for about a year. Even as he worked hard to hide it, though, eventually someone learned his secret. One of my coaches found me on the side of the freeway. I ran out of gas, and I had my car looked like it was full of clothes, full of, because I had been living in there, and he 
kind of asked me what was going on. I, I didn't want to tell anybody, so. And he finally figured out, and he, he brought me in and washed all my clothes, and I, it was, yeah. How fast can you grow up in a moment's notice? Whatever the answer, Sands lived it. He sounds almost casual, detailing the horrors that befell him when his father passed away suddenly on New Year's Day 2012. Money became impossible. His mother Alma was fighting off and recovering from evictions however she could, but nothing could make the family whole. She would work a few days here at the dental office, some other days there at a salon, anything to keep the landlord away, but it wasn't enough. Her only choice was to go to Mexico to make what little money she could find. Donnie stayed back and did the best he could. He went to school, he went to the field, and even close mentors like his coach, Vic Acuna, barely knew that he was all on his own. Donnie was very, very private about that kind of stuff and his struggles. You know, he would he would end up at different people's houses and things like that. And we kind of knew that was going on. But the, the car thing, you know, that didn't really come out until later. I think that's something that Donnie kind of had to, you know, deal with or whatever. And then later on, he kind of started saying some of those things like, hey, there was nights, you know, my mom had to go to Mexico to find work or money or whatever. And, you know, he was staying in his car and uh, night here and a night there and going to school and doing that type of stuff, you know. So... It wasn't something that he publicly put out there. I don't think he wanted anybody to ever feel sorry for him. I wanted to get through it myself, and I don't know if that was the right thing to do, a stubborn 16-year-old kid. A 16-year-old kid facing a world too cruel for the adults around him. But Donnie and his mother, when she was back from Mexico, bonded over a very unique baseball ritual. Alma would set a timer for five minutes, and she would throw pinto beans toward her son. Donnie, in turn would swing a broomstick at the tiny beans. If he missed one, she would restart the clock. He had to make it through the full five minutes. It became a ritual, something they did over and over. Friends offered to help. You know, Donnie, they said, we can give you a ball. But Donnie and Alma liked the beans. The beans worked. And Donnie thrived somehow. Against all odds, the baseball field became his sanctuary, the place where he could get away. And despite it all, Despite the tragedy, despite the homelessness, he impressed scouts, drawing them to see him play at Sal Point Catholic High School in Tucson. And finally, on the night before the draft, he saw the light emerging from the other side of so much heartache. The next day, everything would change, and he'd become a professional baseball player, and he would get to embrace his mother, to thank her for all that she had sacrificed for him, to tell her that he was one step closer to being able to take care of her for life. It was exciting, but he was anxious, too anxious. He had to get outside. He had to drive somewhere or he was going to be sick. I remember just walking up and down my street and it was like 12 and I, and I was, I, I was a mess. I, I, and then at like 1.30 in the morning, I told my mom, let's get the beans out. And at like 1.30 in the morning, we started hitting just to get off my mind. Less than two years after the fateful moment when he heard his name called in the eighth round, pick number 243, so much has changed. Minor league life can feel transient. So many long bus trips from town to town, so many rungs on the ladder that climb to the major leagues, with its triple-decked stadiums and first-class flights. But Donnie Sands proved long ago that he could counter any of life's hardest punches. 
No surprise then that he brings the same attitude to the challenges he faces on the field. Sands played 52 games after the 2015 draft, all at third base. But during that offseason, the Yankees came to him with a proposal. You have good tools, they told him. You're athletic. You're bilingual, which is a huge help. Would you consider becoming a catcher? Sands had never caught before, and he was finding that even playing your natural position at the professional level wasn't exactly simple. But he was intrigued. He goes, all right, you get a week or two to think about it. I said, no, I'll be a catcher. Just it was right there, and he was like, well, all right. I remember they like, get him some gear, and, and the next day, everyone at the complex says they had no clue. And I'm walking out in catcher's gear, and everyone was like, is this a joke? Sands definitely wasn't joking. He attacked the position switch with everything he had, turning himself over to Josh Paul, the Yankees' roving catching instructor. Paul works with the team's receivers at all levels, but Sands became a special project for the former big leaguer. You're basically changing someone's body, the way the way it works, the way it bends. The, it's a di- completely different muscle set. Um, it's a totally different you know, set of muscle memory. Um, you know, so it's like a full year to break in someone's legs to do it. Most of the time, Sands works with Hector Rabago, the Charleston River Dogs catching coach. But this past offseason, he was a full-time student of Paul's. The entire offseason was about turning him into a catcher. Not a guy learning how to catch, but an actual catcher. It's a process. Sands had to learn everything. How to crouch. How to pop up from a crouch and nail a speeding base runner. How to call a game. And the occupational hazards behind the plate are totally different from what he knew as an infielder. We put our machine to 95 miles an hour, and he got these little baseballs. And he, he moved me up. It was six feet from the machine to a point. And I have a video on my phone, actually, of I'm catching it. He goes, move up, because he wanted to take the fear out of me. Move up, and I catch. Move up, and I completely miss this ball, and it gets stuck in my face mask, and I take off, and he starts laughing. But Paul wasn't being cruel. He learned on his own how hard the life is behind the plate, so he was not going to sugarcoat anything about what Sands was stepping into. It's not an easy position. Um, I signed up for it, so it's it's like telling a boxer you're not going to get punched in the face. You're going to get hit a lot, uh, but JP's number one rule is no complaining. So here's Donnie Sands. Five years ago, he was living in his car, trying to juggle baseball in high school while also trying to make sense of life's cruel trials. Two years ago, he was a professional baseball player, a third baseman with his eyes on 161st Street in the Bronx. And now? Now he's starting from scratch once more. A season and a half into this experiment, every day is still a challenge. But his backers, from his beloved mother Alma, to Josh Paul, to River Dogs manager Pat Osborne, all have faith. This is an extremely hard adjustment, and Osborne has enjoyed watching the project take shape. You, you have to be a special person mentally. you got to be mentally tough. Uh, I think it says a lot about Donnie and, and where he has, you know, what's between his ears. He's, he's a mentally tough kid. Or, as Josh Paul puts it, he, he looks like a catcher. So last year he didn't look like a catcher. On June 20th, Sands was among the River Dogs representatives at the South Atlantic League All-Star Game. He still has thousands of steps to take, but as a milestone, it's no small thing. I'm proud of him because... 
It's been able to overcome the difficulties of early in the year, stay focused on the process, and, and shoot, he's an all-star. The future is wide open for Donnie Sands. The past dogs him still, but now he uses it as fuel. The foul tips off the biceps, the aching knees on post-game marathon bus trips, Sands has beat back bigger bullies. And while he knows better than almost anyone how little you can control in life, he also knows what he has to do. Always, uh, for me, in the back of my head, there's fear because I never want to go back. John, how did you get to this Donnie Sands story? It was actually pretty interesting because I booked a trip to Charleston to talk to Blake Rutherford, who's probably our biggest prospect down there. And literally the night before I was going to leave, I'm kind of packing up my stuff and someone mentions to me totally in passing, oh, you know, the Blake Rutherford went on the DL and it hadn't been announced by the team or anything like that. And thankfully it gave me about an hour that night to kind of research what in the world other stories I could do on the Charleston River Dogs without having the Rutherford story that I was counting on and that I had done a lot of work on. And one person in the press box who heard this going on mentioned Donnie Sands, who I had never heard of. And immediately, almost at the exact same time, you emailed me um, saying, what about this kid Donnie Sands? And so I started looking into it. And I mean, the first thing you hear is just, okay, you know, this player is learning how to play catcher. And that's pretty interesting. You know, how do you learn how to play catcher at the professional level? And then... I started finding some interesting, kind of difficult to confirm things about like some tough times he had in his past. It's not the type of thing that anyone had ever fully explored um, in more than passing. And that was a little challenging to figure out how to broach it with him. But he was great, and he, and, and he was very open about all the tough things from his past and his story. And he just couldn't have been warmer and easier to deal with and I got, and I got very lucky because again if I would have gotten there and found out that Blake Rutherford actually wasn't going to be playing at all while I was there <laughs> I don't know what I would have done having had about an hour or two to think about Donnie Sands helped um so that was really to my good fortune I when you first told me the story I I couldn't believe it it seemed too crazy to be true and then and it was scary, too. I mean, and I feel terrible saying this, but, you know, you're hearing this horrible story, and it's almost totally unconfirmable. And, you know, in my head, it's I felt like I got to know to know the guy over a couple of days, and the whole point was that no one really knew it was happening. And then two of his coaches I spoke to, but one of them, Vic Acuna, he really took a sense of somewhat owner, some ownership over kind of what had happened. And, and not, you know, he, he was talking a lot about all the things that people did to help him out as it was going on, but also acknowledging that, you know, this was a kid who probably shouldn't have been left in this situation by anybody. And when Donnie was telling me this, it, 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 he was laughing telling the story, and it was hard for me. You know, I'm sitting there, I'm, you know, I have two young kids, and I try to think. It's just, you know, I like to think that the school board, that wherever we send our kids, would pay closer attention to them than might have been paid to Donnie. You know, the situation, as brutal as it was, you know, some, there needed to be an adult somewhere kind of saying, wait a minute, where are you sleeping at night, man? Right. What's going on? Well, he must have been doing uh, a lot of the right things. You know, it's not like he was a, a problem student or a, or a problem player for his coaches or anything like that. It sounds like, you know, his mom really had him on the right track. And uh, Yeah. Everyone says he's a great I mean, he, he, everyone says he's a great kid, great guy. You could tell when you see him with his teammates in Charleston. He has a real alpha dog kind of posture to him 
um, which is good for a catcher. He looks like a leader among this group. He doesn't look like a guy who is on the sidelines somewhere kind of trying to avoid attention. And certainly he doesn't look like a guy who is exposing himself and putting himself out there, letting himself fail in front of fans as he's learning how to be a catcher. I mean, literally, he's, he's never done this before, and he's learning how to do it. And I got actually incredibly lucky while I was down there. And again, this story, there's a lot of real lucky turns for me in this story. Um, thanks, Donnie. But, uh, you know, while I'm talking to him the first time, and again, I've done almost no preparation on this because I didn't know it was happening. And I'm saying to myself, man, you know, I really should reach out to uh, Josh Paul, the Yankees roving catching instructor. I'm sure he would have some interesting things to say about this. But while I'm thinking this to myself, he says, and you know what, uh, later today I'm going to be working out with uh, Josh Paul because he's here right now. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) And so instead of just, you know, having to kind of piece things together myself, I was literally able to stand there. And it's minor league, so it's easy to, you know, kind of put yourself in wherever you want. I was able to stand there as they were doing their drills together, as they were doing their workouts. And I was able to make Josh Paul a big part of the story in terms of his actual coaching, not him just talking about the coaching he does. So I thought that was pretty fun. I love the photos that accompany the story, uh, and it's in the July issue. How receptive was Donnie to having Yankees Magazine come down there and kind of be in his face? Because like you said, he didn't know you were coming down there, and sure so all of a sudden you show up with a photographer in tow, and you're like, hey, we want to do a story on you. Was it? Was he cool with that? He was very cool with that. I think he was cooler with it than we expected. Um, I was with a photographer, one of the Yankees team photographers, Jim Petrozello, and Jim's a pro, and he knows kind of how to get close into guys without being in their way and that, and that there's a real art to that to capture it without being too in their face but donnie was open donnie let us do everything there was no time that he pushed us away in any way you know the good thing is for something like this you know to get to spend three days with him it gave time for him to get a little more comfortable the funny thing is when we were going with blake what the, the story with blake was going to be riding on the bus with a huge prospect and we did ride on the bus. Uh, we did, you know, take the bus from Charleston to Columbia with the team, and that barely became part of the story, just because, you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't it anymore. I think it would have been interesting to write that story about Blake Rutherford, but I'm really happy I didn't. I yeah. think the Donnie Sands story is better. Well, you know, magazines require some adjusting on the fly, as we all, we all know. <laughs> Seriously, well. if not for that little conversation, though, I I would have gotten there. And they had, they still hadn't announced it by the time I got to the stadium that he was on the that Blake that he was, was on the deal. So if I would have gotten there and just been, you know, talking to a guy who was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm not playing for the next week and a half, right? But it worked out. Thanks. Awesome, John. Thank you so much for uh, bringing this story to us. It was really cool, really interesting, and there's nobody I can think of who deserved to to tell their story. He's well, an interesting guy. I really can't say enough thanks to Donnie for being as open as he was. Thanks to Nate for having the idea at the same time Lou DiPietro from Yes Network did. Um, <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> awesome. Well, that, like Nate said, is in the July issue of Yankees Magazine, which is on sale now. It's in uh, in the stands. If you come to the stadium, pick one up. And you can also check out all of our long-form content online. The Donnie Sands feature will be up on yankees.com slash magazine, along with all of our other long-form content. So check that out. And uh, tweet at us. Get in touch. We're at Yanks Magazine on Twitter. And you can email us at podcast at yankees.com. Thanks. And really, it's about high time that you steal other people's phones and use them to subscribe to the Yankees Magazine podcast. Yes, and rate us and review us. I think they will thank you and we will thank you. So thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.